Thank you, choir. I was telling a few people earlier this morning that this sermon was one of those that just did not want to come out, and real struggle. And I was so thankful that the choir, before the service, prayed, and they prayed and prayed and prayed, and then hearing that song about God ordering us and, and ordering our steps. Um, <laughs> it's going to be fine. I, I, I'm telling myself this. It's going to be fine. God is good. And so let's ask him just to speak to us this morning. Holy and gracious Father, our good Father in heaven, you know our needs, you know what we need to hear. Oh Lord, order these words and, and, and speak through them, that you might call us to faith like you did Nathaniel, and that the promise you gave to him is a promise that you give to us. Let's hold on to that promise in Jesus' name, Amen. The life of faith is often more messy than we'd like to admit. I think most of us, when we talk about faith, we talk as if, if we were all giants of faith. And we share these stories of, of great faith, and we, we want to aspire to be so faithful. Did you hear about that woman who was known to her neighbors for being faithful? She would stand on her porch every day and, and shout, praise the Lord, which most of the neighbors had no problem with, but her next door neighbor was an atheist. And every time she'd say, praise the Lord, the neighbor would say, there is no Lord. And so this would go back and forth. Well, hard times hit this woman, and, and, and she went out to the porch, and she said, praise the Lord. Oh, Lord, I need groceries. Please, oh, Lord, give them to me. The neighbor didn't say anything. Well, the next day, she woke up, and on the front porch were two bags of groceries. And she said, praise the Lord. And at that, the neighbor jumped out and said, ah, I caught you. The Lord didn't give this to you. I did. I provided them for you. Well, the man was surprised when the woman said, praise the Lord. God not only sent me groceries, he made the devil pay for them. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Oh, if we could have such faith that we could say praise the Lord all the time, good and bad. If we could have such wit, I wish we could have such wit. But instead, I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not giants when it comes to faith. We're, we're just miniature plants. Our faith is strong one day and the next day it's weak. We go from strong to weak and back and forth like a roller coaster or like a yo-yo. Always trying to be faithful, and yet when we're honest with ourselves, we know that we're just not that faithful. C.S. Lewis once said, I think the trouble with me is the lack of faith. I have no rational ground for going back on the arguments that convinced me of God's existence, but the irrational deadweight of my old nature remains. Now, mind you, I don't think so. I'm convinced of Christianity, but so often I feel the doubt. What good words, honest words. Well, in our reading from John, we find Nathaniel. And what's nice about Nathaniel is that in, in seeing in just a few verses, we see how faith occurs. We see how it begins. We see how he grows in faith. And we even see how he's given a promise to hold on to as life goes up and down. 
And so we begin by seeing just how he comes to faith. And the first thing we find as we're reading in John is that we find that Nathaniel is under a fig tree. That's it. He's not looking for God. He's not searching for God. Obviously, though, his name means gift of God. Nathaniel means gift of God. He knew his Jewish faith, so he, he had been instructed in, in Judaism. But when Christ has appeared, when Christ is, is, is there beginning to call his, his disciples, where is Nathaniel? Asleep under a fig tree. I like that. He wasn't looking for God. But I guess God was looking for him. And so Philip's, Philip came to Nathaniel. Nathaniel's friend Philip, who had just become a disciple, a follower of Christ, decides to go and tell his friend. And so what he simply goes to him and he says this, and it's verses uh, 45 and following. Philip fan, found Nathaniel and told him, we found the Moses, the one Moses wrote about, the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. I like that, where, where he goes, hey, we found him. What's Nathaniel been doing? Sleeping. He didn't find anything. <laughs> hey, guess what? We found him. Okay. Nathaniel's great reply of faith, Nazareth, can any good come from there? Nathaniel asked. To which Philip said, come and see. The beginning of faith. Not very profound, is it? <laughs> the heavens haven't opened. There's no voice from God. It's just simply, hey, you're sleeping? Hey, we found the Messiah. Come and see. Really? A simple invitation. But isn't that how faith begins? In simple ways, a, a splash of water or a simple invitation from friends. I mean, I tell you, the, the Lutheran Church has decided that they need to, to really push their evangelism. In fact, 10 years ago, they decided we're, it was going to be the decade of evangelism. And what happened in those 10 years? The memberships went down. They put more money into evangelism programs than ever and what happened? Less people were going to church. Didn't quite work that way. Evangelism doesn't work by committee. It doesn't work by program. Evangelism works by one friend telling another friend, come and see. It's as simple as that. For you who are adult converts, there's, I know there's some out there. How did, how did faith begin with you? It was someone inviting you to play volleyball down at the church? A girl inviting you to come to church? A pastor saying, hey, sing, we'll give you In-N-Out burgers? Wherever Matt's at. <laughs> a simple invitation. That's how faith begins. Come and see. Now, did Nathaniel know what he was getting into when he heard those words, come and see? Did he know that God had a whole plan for him, that God was going to change his whole life? That he was going to become a disciple, an apostle? Did he know any of these things? No. All he simply was told was, come and see. You know, it's a dangerous thing to come into a church on Sunday morning. You might just leave as a disciple. Come and see. And so he does. A simple invitation, a splash of water. 
The kingdom of God is like a tiny mustard seed. But then that seed grows, doesn't it? And it grows into a mighty plant. What begins as curiosity grows into a deep faith. And for Nathaniel, he will encounter Jesus in a way that is very powerful. He begins coming by saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? And then he'll say in verse 49, Jesus is the son of God, the king of Israel. Well, what happened between verse 46 and 49? Jesus happened. Right? The word of God happened. Let me read to you what happened. 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, Jesus said to him, Now here is a true Israelite, in whom there is no guile, there is nothing false. And I love Nathanael's response. Well, how do you know me, O oh Lord? None of you find the humor in this. Chuck finds the humor in this. It's, hey, here's one who has no guile. And Nathaniel's response, well, how did you know? None of my neighbors know this, but I know this about myself. I'm one who has no guile. You're still not laughing. This is funny. There's... I'll tell you it one more time just so we can... Right. Here's a true Israelite. Well, how did you know I was a true Israelite? I, I'm going to skip on. <laughs> Chuck, you and I, we'll, we'll, we'll have fun together. And Shirley, too. True Israel, true Lutherans, where there's no guile. See, how did you? Now you get it. See? Next Sunday, Shirley's up here because you got us. And then Jesus' response. I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now for us, these, oh, and then he replies finally, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Well, how did that one reply, I saw you under the, the fig tree, do so much? Well, it is the word of God, but, but there's more to it. For us, this seems foreign. It's, a, it's an odd way of talking. But you have to remember, in their day, at that time, the people of Israel were waiting for a Messiah. And Zechariah 3, verse 10, speaks that God would send a branch, a mighty branch. And when that branch comes, he would be able to call his neighbors from under the vine and under the fig tree. And so in that day... That idea of being called from under the fig tree, that was to be a clue that the Messiah was coming. And so when Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree, instantly, boom, his ears shot up. Oh, this must really be the Messiah. This must be who God has promised. And that's why then he goes, oh, you must be the son of God, the king of Israel. Because, okay, God's word is true. That's what, that's what happened right there. Now, it seems almost too good to be true. I mean, it seems to be a little simple. I mean, couldn't anyone go, hey, I saw you under a fig tree? I mean, I guess someone could. But Jesus is the one who's doing the speaking. And we know one thing if we know about Jesus, when he speaks, things happen. Right? To a man who's blind, Jesus says, see. And they see. Or to a man who's lame, on a paral who's, on, who's paralyzed, Jesus says, get up and walk. He gets up and walks. And so when Jesus, the, the Son of God, speaks in this way, I saw you under the fig tree, those words did something to him. They, they moved him. They took 
moved him from curiosity to saying, I believe. How? Well, the Holy Spirit's working through that. But that's what happened in these verses. Now, we all know the power of God's word. You know this in your own life, right? A verse can just grab you and change you and, and move you from doubt to belief. You know how this works. Many years ago in Moscow, in the Moscow theater, Alexander Rostovzev, I can't say it right, Rostovzev was converted while playing the role of Jesus. Now, you have to understand that he was playing the role of Jesus in the sacrilegious play entitled Christ in the Tuxedo. Now, what happened was he was supposed to read two verses from the Sermon on the Mount and then take off his garb and say, give me a tuxedo and my top hat. I don't know how this would be funny, but that's <laughs> how it was. Well, the day of the play began, he began reading his, two, his words from the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And in those two words, he began to tremble. And instead of following the script, he just kept reading from, the, from Matthew 5. And he just kept reading and kept reading. And people are going, <clears throat> and they're stomping. <clears throat> he couldn't. And then at the very end, he recalled a verse that he heard as a child in the Russian Orthodox Church. And he cried out, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. A man who started to, to mock Christ picks up Jesus' words, speaks them, and in speaking these, to mock him, those words grabbed him and made a believer out of him. <laughs> powerful. That's what Jesus does. His word is power. Come and see. You enter in with curiosity, and then you leave. You are the Son of God, the King of Israel. The word of God is powerful. And so we speak it, and we teach it. He came to faith, right then and there. But Jesus isn't done with Nathanael yet. Jesus has more for him to see. And in verse 51, Jesus says this to him. He then added, I tell you. Now, one quick thing on there. That you is plural now. It shifts from singular to plural. So he's not only saying this to Nathanael. He's saying it to all of the community, which means he's saying it to you as well. So these are Jesus' words to you. And all the yous are plural here. So just, I tell you, Reformation, Nathaniel and Reformation, the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. I imagine when Nathaniel first heard those words, he thought, what in the world does this mean? I'm going to see heaven open. I'm going to see uh, angels descending on Jesus, the Son of Man. It literally goes back to Genesis. Jesus is Jacob's ladder. I'm going to see angels going down and up on, on Jacob's ladder. Well, did he ever see this? Have you ever seen it? You have. You just don't know it. And here's how. For Nathaniel, he couldn't understand these words. What did this mean? For three years, he's plagued by these words. And then when Jesus is sacrificed on the cross, when he is lifted up, suspended between heaven and earth, 
as he stands there, as he's nailed there, as bridging the gap in the air, as the ladder between heaven and earth, there as he's dying on the cross, it's there that he realizes what these words were about. And what Jesus says, I promise to you that heaven is open. What you thought was shut because of sin and what was shut because of sin, guess what? It's open now. The door has been open. The gate is open. The way is there. Jesus is the way. He's the one who stands in that gap between heaven and earth. He is the one who links the two. And it's at that moment, probably then after he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, that Nathaniel began to realize that's what he was promising. Jesus is the one who makes it possible for us to go into heaven. Because of Jesus, heaven is open. Knowing to Nathaniel, but also to you. And why is that so important? Well, again, our lives are messy. Our faith is, is not as strong as we'd want it to be. We're not giants of faith. Our faith moves from weak to strong and back again. Jesus knows this. And so in the midst of our doubts, he gives you this promise to hold on to. And the promise ultimately is, guess what? Heaven is open. The door of heaven is open, which means it's open for you. Isn't that a good word? As you go through life and this life approaches and it gets difficult and we struggle, these words are meant to say, look up in the midst of struggle. Remember, this isn't it. We're not citizens of this place. We're sojourners. Our citizenship is in heaven. And guess what? Heaven is open to us. Or when sin grabs us and we read God's word or when we're not reading God's word and we are convicted by our sin and we think God must close that door to us. No, it's open. It's open to us. All those funny jokes about Peter at, at, at the pearly gates, completely wrong. In fact, Revelation 21 says there are 12 gates into the new Jerusalem, not one. And it's better yet, right here. And the gates are always open and never will be shut. Revelation 21.5. In other words, when we're sinning and we think, oh God, God doesn't want us. He's going to kick us out. He's going to close the door of heaven to us. The promise is, no, the doors of heaven are always open for you. Sinners that you are, come on in. Or even now as we worship and as we sing, we're not the only ones singing. The doors of heaven are open. Heaven sings with us. And when we, when we, we say the Lord's Prayer, heaven says that with us. Or when kids are making cooing sounds here in our service, they bounce off and they, they, they echo in the, in the realms of heaven because the door of heaven is open. And the multitudes are singing even now, praising God. Well, do any of us see these things? Not yet, but they're there, are the eyes of faith do. We see at this point, just in part, we only catch glimpses of it. In the meal, you get a foretaste of that feast. And in the absolution, you hear just a little sentence saying that you're forgiven. 
And it does something. But oh, it'll be great on that last day when we, we feel it with every ounce of our bodies. And when you're with other Christians and you actually have a good time, you're getting just a taste of that eternal fellowship. For now we see in part, but we will see in full. And until that day, Jesus simply says, come and see. In Jesus' name, amen.